Well, hello, and you are listening to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and thank you for joining us again today as we explore the highways and byways of early jazz. Shouldn't even say early jazz. We range all over the place, don't we? Uh, but jazz recorded history is what we're after here. And today, we're going to be focusing on a series of recordings made uh, oh, for about a year or so uh, for the Varsity label. And it was a small label that... Um, uh, existed for a few years in about uh, 1940 or so. It was owned by Eli Oberstein, who was a talent scout and an agent and so forth. He had worked for Victor Records. He uh, became Harry James' manager. Harry James, the great trumpet player who played with Benny Goodman's band. Uh, he was born in Texas in 1916, and he uh, had been part of show business for quite a while since he was able to walk, basically. His father was a band leader in one of the circuses that toured around the South West. His mother was an acrobat and a rodeo rider, and uh, he, Harry James, was uh, given a trumpet very early and uh, put on a very strict practice regimen, we're told, and he became one of the most virtuosic trumpet players of the swing era. Uh, by the late 1920s, early 30s, he had moved to New York. He uh, began playing with the Ben Pollock Band in the middle 1930s. That was his first big association before he jumped ship to go to Benny Goodman's uh, Great Victor Era Band, 1936-7-8, and he was part of the trumpet section that included uh, Ziggy Ellman and Chris Griffin, one of the great trumpet sections of all times. And Each one of them was uh, capable of playing solos, features, and lead parts. So it was quite a, ver a versatile group of trumpet players. And Harry James uh, was also kind of a matinee idol, good look and uh, wrote about in the press and so forth. He had a series of marriages and liaison, shall we say, so he was good fodder for the popular press. And he left uh, Goodman in about uh, 1938, or at the end of 1938, I guess, or early in 1939, probably more likely, to found his own band. And that was immediately signed to Columbia Records. And he was signed to a one-year deal. They made quite a few recordings and did some gigs and tours and so forth, but never got that hit record. So he was released from his obligation uh, early in 1940. And that's when Eli Oberstein stepped in, took over the management of the band, and signed him to a one-year deal with uh, Varsity Records. And they made a series of recording sessions that are not especially well recorded, but have some really fine music, some great jazz that we don't necessarily associate with later versions of the Harry James Band, which uh, uh, owed its popular success to things like uh, Sleepy Lagoon and You Made Me Love You and the schmaltzy ballad types of performances, as well as the uh, trumpet showcases that uh, harken back to the 19th century and Herbert L. Clark and the early 20th century and so forth. But these performances we're going to hear today uh, owe quite a lot to the Count Basie band of the time. Harry James was a big Count Basie fan and used some of the Basie musicians on his earliest recording dates, his pickup recording dates, and uh, uh, used arrangers that sought to recreate that sound. One was uh, Andy Gibson, the African-American, uh, I think he was a saxophone player actually, but he was much better known as an arranger, and some of the other players in this band as well. So we're going to start out with uh, some tunes from the first couple of sessions. first one was in February of 1940, and the second one was in March. Uh, although there's some strange things about the dates and the personnel on here. As I said, Varsity was a small label. Apparently they didn't keep two good records. Um, so we're assuming some things here. The first date, uh, at least one source lists as February 14th, or February 12th of 1940, and the second one was March 18th uh, coming up. So that would have been right after uh, James Columbia contract expired. Uh, 
So in this band, of course, we have Harry James playing all of the trumpet solos. As well, joining him in the trumpet section is Claude Bowen, Nick Bono, and Jack Palmer. Jack Palmer also takes an occasional vocal. I don't think we'll hear any today, though. Uh, in the trombone section, we have Truett Jones, Bruce Squires, and Dalton Risotto. And Risotto was the trombone soloist when there were solos. We'll hear a couple coming up. In the saxophone section, we have Dave Matthews, who was a friend of James uh, from his Goodman Band days, and even going back to Ben Pollock. They were both from Texas. Uh, Matthews was a very fine arranger and also did some uh, really excellent alto solos in the Johnny Hodges tradition. He was a big Ellington fan, although in his later career, even not too much later than this, he was known as a tenor sax soloist who really uh, could recreate the style and sound of Coleman Hawkins like practically no one else. With Matthews playing alto saxophone was Claude Lakey, who also doubled on trumpet of all things, and so we had quite a large trumpet section when he switched over. Uh, in the tenor saxophone section, we have, uh, occasionally anyway, uh, Claude Lakey playing tenor, and playing solos is Vito Musso on tenor sax. Vito, of course, had been with the Goodman Band for a while. He was not noted uh, for being a very good reading musician, but he was an excellent soloist, and we'll hear uh, quite a bit of him in the first two or three or four sessions coming up. And then, rounding out the sax session, we have Chuck Gentry, who was best known as a baritone sax player later on. He was at the beginning of his career. He was probably playing more alto, although you do hear a baritone cropping up every now and again. In the rhythm section, we have Jack, Jumbo Jack Gardner, who was a piano player from Chicago who had recorded in the 1920s and uh, played with his band for several years. Ben Heller on guitar, a good solid rhythm guitar player who had also played with Goodman's band. Thurman Teague from New Orleans on bass and Mickey Screma on drums. We're also going to hear, as we go along, some vocals by Dick Hames, who had replaced Frank Sinatra uh, very recently when this band had uh, uh, switched over. There was another interim vocalist, but we're not going to hear anything by him. So the tunes we're going to hear for our first session are the venerable, wasn't venerable at the time, but it is now, Tuxedo Junction, made famous by the Erskine Hawkins Band and made even more famous by the Glenn Miller Band. But this version probably owes a little more to the Hawkins version, which was considerably faster. So we're going to hear some good solos on that. Following that, a uh, tune that went back probably about 30 years at that point, uh... Alice Blue Gown, referring to Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Very good swing arrangement of that tune. Then we're going to hear a, uh, a tune that was uh, originally recorded, or the title anyway, by Johnny Hodges, Hodgepodge, but I believe this is a different tune. It's credited here to Hal Mooney, and uh, that tune uh, is the first tune we're going to hear from the March session. Following that, we'll hear our first Dick Hames vocal, which is How High the Moon, a brand new tune at that point. Uh, hadn't quite established its jazz bona fides, but uh, a really beautiful tune that we don't think of uh, as a beautiful tune these days, and really excellent vocal, too. Then we're going to hear uh, a nice jazz uh, tune to show off the band. I uh, don't know who wrote this one, probably James himself. Uh, might have been Andy Gibson who wrote the uh, arrangement, but no credit there either. And this is called Come and Get It. Those last three from March 1940, the first two from February 1940. So that's our first set coming up. Tuxedo Junction, Alice Blue Gown, Hodgepodge, How High the Moon, and Come and Get It, all done by Harry James and his orchestra, recording for Varsity Records. Thank you. 
So there we have some very good jazz sides giving the lie to people who would say Harry James was just kind of a tasteless, uh, schmaltzy trumpet player. He was a very good jazz player who uh, certainly loved Louis Armstrong, but he also had a lot of uh, affection for the style of Muggsy Spanier, of all people, who was not a technical trumpet player, but a very good lead player in a Dixieland band. And in fact, uh, in the 1960s, uh, James made a recording with his very uh, up-to-date big band that featured a Dixieland ensemble, including Muggsy Spanier, Matty Matlock, and so forth. They did kind of a back-and-forth thing, which was an interesting concept we may uh, explore on a later podcast. So we started out with Tuxedo Junction, an unusually fast version of that, uh, but that's sort of in line with the Erskine Hawkins version, which we played on another show at a different point. Uh, that featured Harry James, along with uh, Dave Matthews playing some alto sax at the early part in the first chorus of the tune, and also the first of a number of really fine tenor sax solos by Vito Musso, who had a great uh, sound that really echoed Coleman Hawkins' sound, but was his own as well. Well, he had a, uh, a very dramatic presentation as well. So I said he didn't read music very well. It was a thorn in the side of Benny Goodman during his tenure there, but Goodman liked his sound and his soloing so much he kept him with the group for quite a while. After that, we went to Alice Blue Gown, kind of an unusual pick for 1940, but uh, a good swing arrangement of that that uh, also had a little bit of trombone by Dalton Risotto in there, along with Musso and Harry James. And then we went to that Hal Mooney song. Indeed, it was Hal Mooney on Hodgepodge, completely different song than the Johnny Hodges tune. Then the uh, nice ballad performance featuring Dick Hames of How High the Moon. He was a really terrific singer who went uh, on to replace Sinatra yet again with the Tommy Dorsey Band and had his own solo career and brief fling in Hollywood and television and so forth, uh, but a really excellent big band singer, one of the, the best of the, of, of the uh, bunch, I think. And that, of course, featured Harry James and some straight-ahead tenor sax playing by Vito Musso. We finished up with Come and Get It. I uh, don't know who wrote that, uh, unattributed, possibly an Andy Gibson arrangement as well. Uh, good driving jazz performance featuring uh, the tenor sax, the trumpet as well. So we're going to go on now to another session, and we're going to hear one of James' uh, I guess stereotypical showpieces, you'd have to say. This is the uh, fancy uh, Arban version of the Carnival of Venice, with double-tonguing and fancy fingering and all, going into a swing version after that. And James was known for these. He had the technical abilities. He could carry these off uh, with a plum and uh, make them work, even within a dance band format, but he was a very uh, impressive technical trumpet player who'd been playing as as I said, since he was probably old enough to walk and had a great grounding from his father, who was an exceptional trumpet player in the circus tradition as well. And so that's what we will start with, the Carnival of Venice, which uh, comes from the um, session of uh, March 18th, again, 1940. Then we're going to uh, jump ahead a little bit to uh, April 18th of 1940. We're going to hear an interesting arrangement uh, featuring some jungle drums, of all things, on the Sheik of Araby, the 1920s jazz tune. Another 1920s uh, tune that uh, James uh, does a good swing arrangement of, sort of in the style of Jimmy Lunsford, is four or five times, and that goes uh, comes from May 4th of 1940. 
and a good band vocal there as well. Then we're going to go back to hear another uh, ballad type of performance, but with a little beat to it as well. This is Mr. Meadowlark, uh, which comes from that May 4th date as well. Some good trumpet playing on there, along with a nice vocal. And then we're going to end up with Count Basie tune, Super Chief, Count Basie and Jimmy Mundy, with a Jimmy Mundy arrangement. And as I said, Harry James was a big proponent of the Count Basie style and the rhythm section feel, and you can hear that and feel that in there as well. So Super Chief comes from uh, May 4th uh, as well uh, as uh, the other ones we've heard. So that's our um, selection for this next set, Harry James and his orchestra on Varsity Records, The Carnival of Venice, The Sheik of Araby, Four or Five Times, Mr. Meadowlark, and Super Chief.
Mr. Meadowlark, we've got an awful lot of serenading to do. Mr. Meadowlark, I'm just a city slicker and I'm counting on you. She's got a country guy who whistles, my whistle is thin. So when I begin, that's where you come in. Mr. Meadowlark, if you should cop a gander when I'm kissing my chick. Needless to remark, I hope you'll have the decency to exit, but quick. If Mrs. M thinks you're outstepping, I'll make it all right. Mr. Meadowlark, meet me in the dark
is some driving jazz playing by Harry James and his orchestra. One of the reasons they probably didn't find a lot of success in their first tenure at Columbia the first year was they never really established an identity. And uh, you can hear through these varsity recordings, they're beginning to edge towards that sort of bassy Lunchford sound uh, that uh, characterized a lot of James' bands, at least in their jazz playing, for the rest of his career. So we started out with the... Uh, uh, flashy uh, cornet uh, uh, non-jazz tradition, I guess you'd have to say, the, the cornet soloist, 19th century Herbert L. Clark style solo on the Carnival of Venice, uh, which was apparently arranged by Jack Matthias, who was a, a trumpet player with the band at uh, one point or another, and uh, that featured Harry James playing his uh, his most flashy fingering and double-tonguing things, along with a more of a swing accompaniment, so kind of updated, I guess that's a nice way of putting it, for the style of the 1940s. So then we went on to the Sheik of Araby, and uh, that was an interesting little arrangement done by Dave Matthews, and uh, get a sense of his arranging chops there. And that featured, of course, Harry James, along with some good drumming by Mickey Screema, who was a good section drummer, didn't get a lot of opportunities to solo, though. We also got to hear a little piano playing by Jumbo Jack Gardner, good player more in the stride tradition, although in the last number we heard Super Chief, he did some very effective bassy uh, channeling as well. So after the Sheik of Araby, we went on to that uh, Lunsford-style arrangement of four or five times, even quoting the Lunsford recording, I think, uh, and that featured, again, uh, Harry James, along with some great tenor playing by Vito Musso, who is responsible for all the tenor playing so far on these two sets that we've presented to you today. Then another good Dick Hames vocal on Mr. Meadowlark, a more up-tempo, swingy tune, but uh, showing off his romantic side as well, and some good trumpet playing there. And then we finished off with that driving version of Jimmy Mundy and Count Basie's tune, Super Chief, that was arranged by Jimmy Mundy, and featured some exceptional Vito Musso at the beginning, as well as some great Harry James in the middle at the end, and, as I said, some piano by Jumbo Jack Gardner in there as well. So we have one more set to play for you today. We're going to start out with the last tune from uh, the July 18th session. This is a Gershwin tune called Maybe, George and Ira. A good uh, kind of a dance band version. Some jazz in there as well. Uh, we'll be hearing uh, Harry James at his best without going into his romantic overload, I guess you'd have to say. And, of course, another Dick Hames vocal as well. Then we're going to hear three tunes from their last session for Varsity, August 12th of 1940. Uh, apparently the uh, fame, notoriety, what have you, that was coming to the James Band from these Varsity recordings and Eli Oberstein's uh, efforts at um, presenting him to the public uh, reawakened Columbia's interest in him, and he was rehired by Columbia uh, for a longer term uh, deal after this, and that was where he started cranking out the hits, Sleepy Lagoon and uh, You Made Me Love You and Cherry Berry Bin and so forth. Um, these were all interesting uh, ballad performances and, 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 and schmaltzy things that the public really went for, although the James Band continued to record good jazz instrumentals as well. We might do another podcast on those someday. So the three tunes we're going to hear to finish off the program are the Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields tune, Exactly Like You, uh, reaching way back to the Stephen Foster days, we will hear Old Folks at Home, here called Swanee River, and uh, obviously picked because it was a public domain tune. There were some issues with ASCAP around this time about radio broadcast, and all the bands had to dig into the catalog to find non-ASCAP tunes, and very often they were very old tunes that were dressed up in swing-era clothing, and this was probably one of them. Then we're going to finish off with a tune that was composed by and arranged by the leader, Harry James. This is called Tempo Deluxe. And I should mention those 
tunes are going to feature a different tenor sax player. Vito Musso apparently had left by that point, by the fall of 1940, and he was replaced by Sam Donahue, who uh, had a not terribly long career in the swing era. He was on the younger side, but he went into the service and played for the Artie Shaw Band, and I think eventually took over that band as well. So we'll be hearing some different tenor sounds on those sides. So this is our last set of Harry James and his Varsity Band from 1940, maybe exactly like you, Swanee River, and Tempo Deluxe.
have the remains of the Harry James Varsity recordings, all from 1940, and mostly with a consistent personnel. One significant change, uh, most of the recordings were done with Vito Musso being the tenor sax soloist, but that last session, the last three tunes we heard, featured Sam Donahue. So we started out with maybe uh, George and Ira Gershwin tune from uh, July 18th of 1940, featuring a nice Dick Hames vocal, as well as some bouncy and puckish trumpet playing by the leader, Harry James. Then three tunes from August 12th of 1940. Started out with Exactly Like You, mostly a trumpet feature there, another good bouncy dance tune with some jazz elements to it. And then two out-and-out jazz tunes, a driving version of Way Down Upon the Suwannee River, featuring a piano solo, another one by Jumbo Jack Gardner, some Sam Donahue tenor sax, and Dalton Risotto on trombone. Risotto was also featured on the next tune, Tempo Deluxe, which was a Harry James composition and arrangement, and uh, featured the leader as well, and also some fine tenor sax playing. So hope you've enjoyed this show. This is a, a band that doesn't get a lot of press in the jazz uh, world, uh, and this little subsection of their recordings really was largely devoted to jazz. Probably the percentage of jazz playing on these sessions was considerably higher than that of most white bands of the time. I think James and Eli Oberstein felt they didn't have a lot to lose on a minor label like this and just put out things that made the band sound good, and indeed they did, and had a few uh, pretty good selling records, things like uh, Carnival of Venice and so forth. He also did Flight of the Bumblebee, and uh, that encouraged Columbia to rehire them uh, a little bit later, and he stayed with Columbia, I think, through the 1940s, and then recorded periodically thereafter for Columbia, uh, Verve, and other labels as well. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and hope you make a habit of looking in on us from time to time and see what we're doing. And if you'd like to be a member of the family, please do so. Hit that little button, and uh, if you'd like to uh, contribute either monthly or on an occasional basis, we would love the encouragement. So hope you're inclined to do that. So thank you very much, and I'll see you on the other side.